Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. This is a special edition of the Artelligence Podcast, sponsored by Christie's Education New York, where art history meets the art market. This conversation took place at Christie's Education in New York in early December, just after Art Basel in Miami Beach. Now, let me allow Veronique Chagnon-Burke, the academic director of Christie's New York, to take over. Good evening. I want to welcome everybody at Christie's Education for our panel tonight. Uh, it's very, I'm very happy, despite the rain, to see some of our former students, some of our current students, and some hopefully uh, prospective students. So it's my honor tonight to introduce our two panelists. So what will happen is after a short introduction, I will actually join them and um, ask them a few questions. The idea is basically to try to look at what's ha what has happened in the art market, in the art world over the last, week, uh, well, over the last year, and uh, taking the Miami Art Basel and the November auction as a kind of a little bit of a marker and to start a discussion from there. I would also welcome a question from the audience and from my two very esteemed colleagues, uh, Professor Kufferman and Noah over there, who is the Art Law and Business Director, and Marisa KM, who is our uh, Continuing Education Director. So hopefully they'll help us engage in some uh, interesting dialogue. But knowing most of my students, I know you'll have a lot to say. <laughs> So tonight, it's my pleasure to introduce our two panelists, Jed Tully, who is the um, award-winning journalist and widely published. He is the editor-at-large of Art and Auction magazine and his sister website platform, Bloin Art Info. And um, I you know, would encourage you to seek his work out and to also maybe uh, look at his blog, which is also very interesting. And our other panelist tonight is Marian Manneker, who most of you probably know as the person who is the redactor-in-chief of uh, the um, Art Market Monitor. And again, both of them have extensive experience in looking at the art market, studying the art market, reporting on it, and um, I think they'll probably uh, share some interesting insights tonight. So please help me welcome them to the panel tonight, and then I'll join them for the question. I know this uh, microphone thing is a little strange, but we'll deal. So I think the one of the overarching themes that I wanted people to address today was this idea of not just so much thinking about pricing, but also thinking about the value and the value of art, especially in such an uncertain times. So what I would like to ask at the beginning is um, maybe at the same time first with Marion and then with Judd, their takeaway from the fair. The idea that maybe there was a little bit of less foot traffic, but none of us felt that the atmosphere was also ext extremely depressed or um, even that sales didn't go very well. So, Marianne, you want to tackle this? Thank you. Um, I guess it, it's hard to draw too much uh, of a conclusion from an art fair because 
so much of what takes place at an art fair is like an iceberg. You know, there are uh, the sales and there's the rush of people to um, see what's on the stand, but a great deal of what happens uh, both while at the fair and afterwards is the, you know, the not the work on the stand, but there's something else that they have, something in the back room. You know, so, so we don't necessarily know from the sales that get reported just how much uh, is really happening in, in the art market. Um, and to that I would add, you know, it's a very interesting time for the art market, not because of the surrounding um, uncertainty, but because we've had uh, three or four, five years. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just, uh, I was looking at some numbers recently where the auction totals, and I'm not trying to skip ahead to that okay. subject, uh, are around uh, 2011 levels. And I you know, distinctly remember 2011 being one of these fairly strong years where we reconfirmed that there would be an art market um, so soon after the credit crisis. And then to see from that period to the peak in 2014, 2015, whichever you want to look at it, that's, that's a long uninterrupted run of a lot of sales activity, a lot of um, a sense of momentum. Uh, and so to see it be quieter should be, I think, refreshing. Mm -hmm. um, for a bunch of different reasons, but it should be refreshing because we're still seeing a fair amount of uh, transactions. We're still seeing interesting uh, sort of rotation, meaning that there are dealers who are trying to either bring new artists uh, to prominence or find historical artists who are under, um, I won't say undervalued, but underappreciated. Uh, and that's the healthy uh, process. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say my feeling is that this is a, uh, a year where the art market somewhat consolidates. Um, people who really want to buy something are buying it. it. Uh, I think a lot of other people are you know, staying involved but not necessarily uh, feel under a great deal of pressure uh, to do something, which is probably more good uh, than bad. Thank you, Mary. I think we can just close on that note. OK. <laughs> Um, I, I would, I mean, um, I think Miami, um, the fair, I mean, the, the whole convention center is going through this, like, major renovation. Um, Miami itself, I found to be very, like, kind of down and out in terms of a lot of homeless people. Mm -hmm. um, there was, like, not a good feeling I didn't pick up just in general. And there's, of course, you know, this huge, monstrous amount of building going on there. And they had a giant reversal back in whatever, 2008, 2009, and that's coming back. But this is all just a, a backdrop. But certainly everyone, you know, reported that, you know, fewer people came. The opening VIP, the most ultra, you know, there were dealers kind of looking out at the empty aisles going like, where is everybody? And maybe that's Art Basel's management style of trying to, you know, parse it down or something. But you got absolutely no sense that there was any rush about anything, which of course is contrary to 
times in the past now where the you know 11 a.m. and they call it you know like running the bulls at Pamplona. I said that wrong. But anyway, um, but one thing that interested me was uh, the observation among you know that there were you saw more uh, quote unquote you know non-European non. Americans. There were a lot more South Americans. Mm -hmm. um, there are more dealers now from that part of the world. And I think there, that idea of the global market is really Asian. Uh, you, you know, you saw a bunch of, I mean, you can't tell. They could be, you know, like 100% American, but happened to be Asian. But you could kind of see that kind of broader uh, collector base is showing up now and is very sophisticated and um, and one thing that struck me um, a dealer told me uh, and you know it wasn't for attribution or whatever but he said um, he had called the management before this uh, opening he wanted to get an extra VIP pass and he had run out of them and this is a seasoned uh, dealer. And he got this response that he had to tell Art Basel Miami Beach management who the collector was, who that person bought from, what that person has bought in the last year, was it bought at auction, at what gallery, and basically, like, tell me who your client mm -hmm. is and I want mm -hmm. all the information. And he said, you know, no thanks. No. <laughs> um, you know, but that kind of uh, heavy-duty, you know, hardball approach of the art fairs is now, you know, the auctions are the same. It's, you know, really trying to knock each other out. And it's interesting that I think what Marion was referring to about the kind of lower volumes certainly in the auction field this past year, dramatically. So um, I think reflects in part people maybe going to more private, quieter, let's do a deal and not kind of expose things. I mean, later on, I'm sure we can talk about. The, the private sale and yeah, the kind that, of rise but, of the. You know, but yeah, I mean, the, I wasn't necessarily anticipating, you know, a lousy because mm -hmm. after all, a lot of these sales take place beforehand. Mm -hmm. And they're not just going blind and saying, oh, gee, I hope somebody comes and buys this. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's a very strong, it's a, it's a premier fair in North America. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Christie's Education New York. Christie's Education offers master's degrees and continuing education programs on all aspects of art history, art business, and the art market. Programs emphasize the importance of direct contact with original works of art and interaction with a network of artists and professionals to enhance students' exploration of the art world. Contact newyork at christies.edu to schedule a meeting with an admissions counselor or faculty member or to tour the facilities. For details on their master's degree programs and for gainful employment information, visit christies.edu. I actually have a question for you about the, the running of the bulls. Yeah. 
and you just touched on it again with, you know, a good uh, gallery gets in touch with the people they want to see at the fair, shows them what work's going to be there, uh, smartly lines up buyers, if not actually makes the, the sales and all. It, it, in the auctions we saw, people were buying, but only if they were absolutely forced to, right? There were a lot of people hanging back, waiting to see someone else bid, or if there was a bidder, you know, taking these little salami slices of, you know, micro-chopped bids and all. And so I, I guess I'm wondering, is that sort of gotten into that um, vernissage aspect where there's a kind of lining buyers up, but then a bit of a standoff as everyone waits to see, you know, is that a, a real price? Is there someone else interested in, in this? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, by now, I mean, somebody, um, you know, many people make the observation that, um, I mean, this time in Miami in December, it's at the end of a very, very long year of art fairs and auctions, not to mention, you know, current events. And there's a fatigue factor mm -hmm. taking place. And even, uh, and, you know, I think they probably did, a lot of galleries did very well. Um, I'm, you know, still think there, you know, there are too many art fairs. I didn't really drill into the other outline fairs. I wasn't, I didn't spend that amount of time. It's, I think. It's not manageable. I think Josh Baer calculated once that if there was, you know, you had, you know, one fiftieth of a second to view Every artwork at every fair or something, if you're going to spend a week in Miami. Yeah, was it 24, like 24 parallel yeah. fair, something like this, yeah. like about 20, over 20 parallel fair on the top of the gigantic convention. So it's really unmanageable. And, and the other thing that I was just going to, something else Marion had mentioned earlier about the fair, it's, you know, it's also, it's developing new clients and making contacts, whether they buy a work that time or not. But one of my favorite art world characters, he's, not a, he's a big collector, um, Dimitri Mavramatis. And he's a kind of larger than life in many ways. Um, and he was at uh, Christoph Vandeweg's stand. And I've seen this. It was like Groundhog Day. They're always like shouting at each other and kind of theatrically going on, knowing that people are watching, and he loves an audience. But anyway, he had said that, oh, um, I bought this fantastic painting from Christoph, but it's not here at the stand. It's, it's in New York, because it's like twice as big as the stingle that's on the wall here, and I paid, you know, and then Christoph was saying, should we tell him how much you paid for it? And they're going back and forth, and whatever it was. But it, it is a, um, you know, it's a kind of, you can see it that people are used to now, it's not going to the gallery and thinking about buying a work on a you know, weekly or monthly basis, or it's waiting to go to the fairs to, to buy, or go to the auction to buy, or compare, and mm -hmm. you see all the auction people running around comparing, doing pricing, and it's, um, so it's a very businessy, you know, no one talks about the quality of art. It's just about the price. And it's so it's still 
feels a little bit more like being in a shopping mall and picking uh, according to what's either one. yeah, in a, a, you know, yeah. of course a fancy one and they, you know they're totally i mean that management team and they've got this new guy that used to run the armory fair mm -hmm. Noah Noah Horowitz uh, Horowitz and he's building up you know the Americas which mm -hmm. I think he'll you know I think it it shows but um, and there were lots of uh, you know museum groups going through and you know that's important um, but I think it does really cast a kind of somewhat dour note about the relevance of galleries on terms of the brick and mortar oh, yep. monthly shows and all of the work people put in to do this. And you know, most people are just waiting to go to a fair so they say, oh, you know, let's compare the stingle here mm -hmm. or the, you know, I forgot, uh, you know, lots of color field paintings. Yeah, there was a lot of color field painting. Um, I did want to say, you know, the galleries have become almost um, the place you make a case, right? You, we see fewer shows that are, you know, it's every two years and this is a new show by one of their artists and more, especially, you know, for obviously reasons on the secondary market, uh, a gallery either with an estate or with a body of work making a case for this is important, here's why, and people are talking about those shows not because there's stuff to buy there, but it's, you know, we saw this um, uh, several years ago when Gagosian started creating the big, you know, late Picasso shows or, you know, exactly. Exactly, and, and so now it almost makes the fair the place where people talk and talk about doing potential business less about what's on the walls than more within that context. So it's a shopping mall, but you know, uh, more like you know the old uh, green stamps where you 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 pay and then the thing gets sent to you uh, and all, and and that's the the transaction that's taking place. Not wrap this up off the wall and send it home for me. But I, I think another part though. I wasn't that aware of, but um, it seems increasingly that uh, some dealers are debuting artists that they've just taken on at the art fair. And Jack Shaman did this mm -hmm. with um, a young artist uh, whose name I can't pronounce, but, um, <laughs> and sold two paintings. Um, and. Other dealers have mentioned to me that that's a good way to build up an artist's reputation at an art fair because you get a much broader hit in terms of the people that come through. And even mixing them with other artists, showing them to, you know, to advantage. I know that um, Keen Gallery and this dealer, Jose Frere, um, and he has galleries in New York and a couple and in LA and in Venice. Um, developed a lot the uh, reputation of Stanley Whitney whose large abstract paintings now are you can't get anymore of them. And um, and now he's showing Stanley Whitney's showing with the uh, Listen Gallery mm -hmm. as well. So I think then that's you know in the first time uh, it was 
Art Basel, Miami, like five or six years ago, where Team Gallery, he had Stanley Whitney with Ryan McGinley. Oh. <laughs> just completely, you know, and he said no one. Uh, anyway, it's just interesting that the, the, the fairs have become, you know, more than just one dimension in that way. So in a way, it's kind of like the layers, the various layers. Some galleries will yeah. use the fair to introduce new artists. Some galleries will use the fair to do business as normal, as usual. And uh, do we still see, I mean, one of the things that struck me at the main fair, once you're looking at the major gallery, especially the secondary market, is the fact that a lot of the booths felt like they brought a little bit of everything. You, is, is it difficult? You think it's, it's like, this is like a basically a choice, um, a strategic choice on behalf of the gallery, but in a certain way, it's more difficult than for the people from the outside to understand the mission of the gallery or, or their taste if there's such an array of, of work. Um, that was something that struck me, is, is the diversity of most of the booths rather than a more coherent, you know, selecting one or two um, artists that deal with the same kind of style and stuff. Uh, I, I think that's an interesting uh, a point because, you, one, you can see how hard it is to get material on the secondary market just by walking around um, a fair like Art Basel. And presuming, you know, this is a important fair for visibility, but not even within the Art Basel system, the most important fair for, for sales. So even giving allowance that, okay, this isn't where you save your best, best stuff uh, for, there were a number of um, secondary market dealers who you thought, okay, they're bringing what they have mm -hmm. to start a conversation, and they'll figure out what they can get and how they can source it, because so much of the art market now is less about, you know, dealers holding inventory. We used to have these, you know, images of the Wildenstein vault filled with, you know, art of the ages, you know, like that scene from the end of Raiders of the Lost Ar Ark, when in fact, you know, a great deal of the art is stored with, uh, with the various collectors who own it, and the dealers are often making connections between someone who wants something and someone who has something, and how that transaction might uh, uh, take place. Uh, and you can see some dealers saying, okay, here's what I see going on, so let me show you examples to start that conversation, whether that work gets sold or not. Um, and then on the other side, uh, as Judge just pointed out, you see people making a case for either a young artist or for um, a particular artist because they found two great works and they wanted to get people to uh, notice them and engage in a conversation. Uh, and then on occasion, like, uh, there were some interesting booths, you know, there was a Romare Bearden booth mm -hmm. that had estate work and a couple of pieces for sale. Uh, and I think you, you walked in there more getting a reference point that, one, what his prices uh, are or may be, whatever they're aspirational or actual uh, and all. Uh, there's the same thing with that, um, you know, Noah seems to have brought from the Armory show the um, Italian gallery that uh, has the uh, Mirandi estate uh, and all. Which had a nice booth and the same yeah. sort of yeah. thing. And, and so, I mean, there, it, it's, a, it's a house of many mansions. There are a lot of, 269 galleries. They've all got different things to try and accomplish uh, there. But I, I do think what you're saying 
especially about the major secondary market ones, the, the guys who are clustered around yes. that entrance uh, that everyone comes in. in they're either were starved for material or had fantastic material that their prices were so high, they'll just hold on to it and wait until they get uh, uh, their, their price, which I suppose is a good sign. Uh, you know, they don't feel the need to transact and people are coming in and talking about, you know, there was a room full of Dubuffets at um, Landau. I was uh, thinking of, uh, you know, so here keying off sales, trying to, to uh, continue the conversation. In that same vein, the um, NAMAD, which is the epitome, I guess, of sort of the ultimate back room in Switzerland or whatever, in Geneva <laughs> Freeport, but Evolved. they had this large, late Picasso in this very gaudy um, Spanish frame, perfect for the work. Mm -hmm. And that was a, uh, something they bought at auction um, in London. I, maybe a year ago mm -hmm. or something like that. It, it was around, I don't know, 10 million or so. And I don't know, you always hear different prices from them, but it was at le it was double that price. I mean, whether they sell it or not, but it's a, you know, it's a way for them to, you know, draw people in. And, I mean, it's, it's a lot of show. Yeah, and, and I think this year was a little bit quieter, so for the people that enjoy a little bit more of comp contemplation, it must have felt kind of nice, this idea of, um, I like what you said, Marianne, at the beginning. This It's kind of not so much a correction, but a lot of the hype is gone, so it feels like we can not now starting to think again. And I'd like to ask you now, one of the things that was really striking to me, and I think, Judd, you talked about it a little bit in your report, is also this feeling that it was not just about emerging artists that had just gotten out of the MFA, and um, it, it felt like there was a lot of interesting, not so much the mid-career artists, but even a lot of dead artists, and, and, and these kind of historical moments when we were checking Marion and I, as we were waiting, we we're looking at what we like best, and you talked about the mangle, and there was a lot of, I think, of, of really, what I would say, historical work that, you know, the students could have been looking up in, in, in their history book, art history book, rather than stuff that was made yesterday. So is it more... Less younger emerging artists and that whole, you know, zombie formalism phase that was running through for a couple of seasons is just completely gone. I mean, there's some galleries that have, uh, certainly that show younger artists, but it's, you know, it's too much of a gamble, I think, now. And they want, you know, like that great um, Madrid gallery that shows at all the fairs and they specialize in, you know, you always see Donald Judd and um, mm -hmm. uh, Mangold and, um, uh, anyway. And they had a Mangold, uh, uh, yeah. this. I think one of the things that's always interesting is there are specific galleries around the world who geographically don't overlap, but when they're at an art fair are now in the same territory, in quotes, and you can see them 
you know, whether it's a living artist or an artist that people have begun to sort of work that market, you see them together, which I think is actually to everyone's benefit. I mean, it's, there are two or three galleries with mangled. Mm -hmm. They keep showing up, you know, with their next uh, uh, iteration. Well, has always had acres of those. I mean, and yeah, it's, it's um, yeah. No, I mean, personally, for me, I mean, going to an art fair, it's, it's um, even going to, like, a freeze masters or after a couple, you know, like, the thrill is gone kind of thing. So what you see is, you know, they try hard, but I think it's increasingly difficult to get really top work. And I think... Because of so much, because of all the fairs. And I think there's also, there, the top of the market is what stopped. Right? And there, I don't think anyone's in a hurry to spend 15, 20, 30 million dollars on a work of art. They may, if they, you know, as we saw in the auctions, if they feel like this is the one, they're not afraid to. But I don't think anyone came to Miami itching to buy, needing to buy. You know, there's money burning a hole in their pocket uh, kind of thing. And, you know, this is what I was trying to say earlier, after four or five years of this, where lots of great stuff was pried off the walls with guarantees, uh, where you know we saw a lot of new artists come through, or actually familiar artists come up in, in value. I don't think uh, uh, there's a lot of people out there saying they just have to get into to this. If anything, they're looking for something different, which brings you down to lower price point. I think they're a little wary of going to you know the fresh artist who may never make anything uh, uh, again. Uh, and so it's a little bit of working around the corners, you know, trying to figure out um, what might excite people, you know, what's the, the next thing. I mean, I, I, I do want to say, though it looks not as exciting and, uh, you know, a, a frenzy, it's a better art market if there are more works sold at lower price points, even if the total volume is lo lower. One, it, there's more commissions being paid across the board. There are more people uh, uh, making uh, money, but there's also a greater amount of circulation. Uh, there's only so many, you know, trophies uh, in the in the world, uh, and there's a certain moment where not focusing on the trophies uh, is a pretty good thing. And you know, look, the 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 single biggest trophy driver uh, over the last 15 years has been the Warhol market, and that is just on hold. It's in a deep freeze right, right now. Uh, I don't think anyone thinks it's going to go away, but I think that as long as that's happening, uh, and as long until something replaces it, and it's hard to imagine uh, uh, that, there is a, a sense that, well, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have the um, pre-card fights, you know, we'll have exciting, interesting things, but not the main event. I mean, one of the things that's interesting is that wall market, Marion, can you what, what's, is, do you think it's a good indicator of what's happening now? Because it's true that we've seen, I feel, in the last two seasons, um, a kind of a, it's, it's kind of not as maybe strong or steady as it was. I don't want to pretend to, to uh, <laughs> guess because it is a big market with, yeah. with some important players uh, uh, in it in different cardinal points and it could be any number of things. I think it's just, in some ways, exhaustion. Uh, you know, 
what fuels a market is the seeing something new that comes and seeing someone pay a lot and, say, and sort of confirm that it's exciting. That can't go on for forever. Uh, and the last bunch of big Warhols we saw in like, you know, 14 and fi 15 uh, started to be odd works kind of on the edges. And by the way, we do see some interesting prices for some very rare works, which suggests that people, if there's something totally, you know, that they haven't seen before or is hard to get, people will shell out for it. But another reverse Marilyn, uh, you know, another of something relatively familiar is going to get be hard to get um, uh, someone to, to chase after. I, I mean, that's, a, I mean, totally, Warhol, that's a huge market, but it's, it's a cartel. I mean, it's mm -hmm. controlled by the Mugrabis, and um, that's like, world chess champion type strategic whatever going on there and totally wrapped up with every major gallery and auction house and I don't know. I, I agree with you that there's somewhat of a fatigue and I mean my personal sense of uh, Warhol is that as we go further his works from the 60s have you know, more of almost like an antique feeling, mm -hmm. as opposed to another artist from the 60s, or like I think Roy Lichtenstein has more, still has more pop in terms of whatever his subject matter is. And so maybe that's just a, a change in taste or the huge pool of people that have been buying Warhols for years are sated and they have their great Warhols mm -hmm. and they're waiting like in that kind of Steve Cohn world of only going for the greatest one. I forgot now the the last big Warhol, the black and white. The Coke stripe, bottle? No, no, no the one from, from November, yeah. In November at Sotheby's, whatever that was. Which got a surprise and got, it didn't, have many bids, but it got a bid or yeah. two, and that looked like something that was going to sell to the prearranged third-party bidder. Yeah. So, so just when you think it's it's yeah. uh, out, you know that and the the Lenin went for a very big price, uh, and during the day sale there was the uh, the American Indian. So, and that's what I mean. It's a, it's almost like it's not that people don't want Warhol. It's finding a Warhol that you can get excited about. So, are we thinking that the collectors are getting a little? not so much savvier, but because there's there might be a little less pressure and a less frenzy, they're thinking longer? Are we thinking there's shift in taste or? I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't know because I think it's hard to generalize about whatever that collecting class mm -hmm. is. I mean, I bumped into this, it was very funny at Art Basel Miami, but the I think it was the day after the first preview, but this guy from uh, Christie's, Koji. Um, in a way. Yeah. He had just come back from Hong Kong. And he's walking in, and Ed Dolman, chairman of Phyllis, is going in. And Koji used to work for Dolman when Dolman was here. And um, they were, you know, very friendly and talking and about Hong Kong. And but Koji was saying that, to his mind, how sophisticated, how quickly 
a group of collectors in that region of the world have become, where they were just maybe initially just buying a name or buying what their advisor suggested that it's gotten to be much more um, strategic and um, and it even prompted you know these big auction houses to say, well, let's put together a group of works and take it to Hong Kong in a show because we want those collectors to see it, you know, like in their backyard, so to speak, and not have to come to New York or London to see it. We'll just bring it. We'll bring the you know dog and pony show to you. And uh, I thought that was interesting in the sense of uh, the Asian market is so important now to all the houses and I imagine all the major galleries and doing you know Art Basel Hong Kong and the critical importance of that. This concludes part one of the panel discussion. This has been a special edition of the Artelligence Podcast, sponsored by Christie's Education New York, where art history meets the art market. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 